Amen. One of the privileges um, that I've been blessed with in my life was getting to spend uh, a part of a summer studying at Oxford. And during that time that I was there, I took every opportunity I could to see everything I could in England. Um, my wife knows when I plan a sightseeing trip, like, buckle in, because we're, we're, we're going to see it all. Um, but one of the things that I would have never looked at, I would have never gone to, that was perhaps more memorable, memorable than so many other things, was what was called the Brookstone American Cemetery. And, and I had someone tell me that uh, it was there at Oxford that lived there in England to, to go see this. And what it is, it's a national cemetery. It is an American national cemetery in England. And uh, there are 456 service personnel who died, uh, mostly during World War II, who are buried there. And so it's a very moving place, just as, as the National Cemetery here in Nashville or, or going up to Arlington uh, there in D.C. area and seeing those white headstones lined up in perfect formation and remembering the soldiers that have passed, that have died in battle as we do this Memorial Day weekend for us, for protecting the freedoms that we have right now. And to see this on foreign soil and knowing that their family did not get to have their son, their brother, their dad come home, even for his burial. It was very moving. But as you walk into this cemetery, there, there's an arch. It's metal. It's a, it's a very modern-looking art sculpture. And on that, it says, May they rest forever. As you walk through on your way to the cemetery, passing under that arch, there's, there's memorials, there's memories of the British people thanking the American soldiers for not only protecting American interests, but also protecting their very homeland against the threats of World War II. It's a grateful people to a foreign entity. And so it was very eerie walking through that and, and seeing that sign, may they rest forever. It's very moving. Today, as we come, and we're walking through this book of Exodus, we, we come to a passage about the Sabbath. And now I, I have to asterisk that. Technically, I'm preaching Exodus 28 through Exodus 31, and I laughed at Joe and picked these verses. Um, he actually had the same idea. But we're just going to read a few verses. And what, what is happening in this extended passage, let me encourage you to read it, is God is taking the Ten Commandments and saying, here's how you do that every day. Here's how you work this out practically. And He was giving His moral law for God's people. But in addition to that moral law that He was giving, He was also giving them their civil law. This is a new country. And they've been slaves. They don't know how to function around each other. They don't know how to interact. And so God is teaching them and He's providing basically their constitution, their, their framework of laws. That this is how you live every day. In addition to that, He has given them their religious law. Here's how they were to worship God. We're going to read much later in the sermon about how all that was a setup. It was in preparation for the fullness of Christ that we are blessed to enjoy right now. And so as we read this, I want you to take this in. There, there's 
Uh, Joe did the sermon a few weeks ago on strange laws. We've got some. And it's not so much that they're strange as harsh. This this passage comes very, very um, brutal in some ways. But I want us to get this, and I want us to see the, the importance of what God called the Sabbath rest. And so we're going to get some information about it. The first part of it, we just got to talk about what in the world was this thing. And then we're going to talk about how do we keep the Sabbath? How, what do we do with this now? We're, we're here Sunday, by the way. Sabbath means Saturday, all right? Or is, there, is Saturday. So I, I, it's Sunday, right? So obviously there's some differences. And so how do we keep the Sabbath? And then finally, how did Christ fulfill with Sabbath? What was this big picture that God was setting up from the very beginning, the first week of creation. So read with me from Exodus chapter 31. We're going to read and starting in verse 12. And one thing as you're turning there, Exodus 31, 12, as you're turning in your scriptures, if you have one, that I want to highlight for you that's at the end. And don't miss this. Immediately after God says this, here's what you do with the Sabbath. Here's how you live out that fourth commandment. He handed him the Ten Commandments. Like, the Ten Commandments. This is the Charlton Heston moment, you know, big rocks on the mountain, okay? This is the moment immediately after God says, here's how you rest in me and how you keep the Sabbath holy. He hands him the stone tablets. And Moses comes off the mountain. So there's there's some significance. There's some punch in this kind of in its location in Scripture. So listen with me. Read with me. Exodus 31, 12. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Sanctify means to set apart and make holy. Verse 14, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Everyone who does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Verse 15, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And then verse 18, and he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking to him on the Mount of Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So in this moment, we're going to talk. This is not a complicated sermon. There's probably some information that you may not have. So the first part, it's not real exciting. But I want to, I want to convey some information to you. And that if you're taking notes there in your uh, bulletin there, these are the facts of the Sabbath. Simple, I'm not real creative on this one. The facts of the Sabbath. But I want us to have some basic information so we have a framework to understand what was the law in the Old Testament. Okay, and then now, how does that work with us? So here's here's what what was, all right? 
So first, Sabbath was on Saturday. It was the seventh day of the week. That was there, just as we call it, Saturday. They called it Sabbath. But Sabbath was not just a name. It was a word. It was a regular like vocab word. It meant to rest or to cease or to stop. So this was such a practice, so ingrained in them, it became known as that day of the week. That was the rest day. It was that hard and fast. And not only was every Saturday Sabbath, but every holiday in the Jewish calendar was a Sabbath as well. So in other words, if Passover happened to fall on Tuesday that week, that was a Sabbath. You were not to work and you were to keep that day holy to the Lord, just as you were that Saturday. So Sabbath again means to rest and it's key to who they were. The next thing that I want us to understand is this, this is weird to us. This is just foreign, but it's again a different culture. And if you go to Israel today, this is still how they use. If you have Jewish friends, this is still how they live. The day started at sundown. So we think of the morning starting. I mean, it's like when the alarm goes off, that's when the day starts, right? That's Friday or that's Saturday. Hopefully your alarm doesn't go off on Saturday. But for the Jewish people, they started their day at sundown. So the Sabbath started what we would call Friday night. As soon as the sun went down, that's when the Sabbath began and they ceased from work. And the first thing that they did, and we know this, we don't know that this was happening in Exodus, but we know that it was happening shortly after that, that the people would eat a meal with their family. That the central place of worship at that time was to gather as a family, probably extended family, to talk about God's Word, to read God's Word, to sing God's Word. I don't have that skill for sure. And to pray together and to eat. So I had this time of quiet and ceasing from work. And it went until all Saturday, until sundown, Saturday night, would become Sunday, the first day of the week. And so you see this all through Scripture, and sometimes it clarifies things like Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Christ died on Friday, right? It was three days later when He resurrected, but we only got Saturday, Sunday. But not according to a Jewish calendar. Jewish calendar, He died on Friday. Saturday night starts the next day. Saturday night starts the next day. So three days later. This is how they measured time. And so it's just different. It's foreign. But understand that when Jesus was talking about the Sabbath, it started Friday night and it ended Saturday, you know, supper time, uh, whenever the sun was about to go down. All right. So now what do we do with this? That's, that's basics. Let's, let's spread this out to the Old Testament. And we need to start with the very beginning. God creating the heavens and the earth. And we remember He creates this on the first day. He creates the planets and the the very earth the first day. And then He separates seas. And then He creates lights. And then He creates the actual source of those lights, the sun. Then He creates uh, plants and stuff in the ocean. Then He creates animals and eventually creates humankind. Seventh day, God rested. He's God. He's not sleepy. The Bible says over and over and over again that God does not slumber nor sleep. So we're, we're not talking about God needing a nap here on the seventh day. God is setting up for us from the very beginning of human existence that there's something special. 
that there's to be time to set aside to stop. In the passage that Steve read just a few moments ago, it says that God rested. And kind of the Hebrew understanding of the Bible is that God is still resting. He's done with the work of creation. And it's very interesting to see that in the New Testament, when Jesus ascends back to heaven, what does He say He's going to do? He's going to work again and prepare a place for us. That there's a rest, even in the mind of God. There's a ceasing of striving. But then in the very Ten Commandments that Christ gives, or that God gives the people of Israel, Exodus 20, I want to read that to you. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to. Exodus 20, verse 8. This is the fourth commandment. And note how it's tied to creation. Exodus 28 says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So it's a two-part command. Remember it. So in other words, this is to be continually practiced. Keep it holy. So we'll talk about what that means in a little bit. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is with you. It was within your gates. So note here, God is not just talking about the elite that get this rest. This is not some Hollywood thing. We're talking about people on yachts having fun all the time. This is everyone who was around. From the highest to the lowest, everyone got a rest. So let me just, as an aside, all right, time out from here. Employers, those of you who are managers, who have people who work for you, think about this. This principle is all through the Scripture. is to care about those, even the least of those, who are working for you. So don't miss this little application here that God cares about every single person. Every single employee. And every single employee ought to have rest. But let's get back to the Scriptures and the main point here. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So note the wording there, because this is going to come to play later when we start talking about Jesus and how He considers the Sabbath. God made that day holy. That wasn't a magic day or something like that. God set that day apart for us. For a day of rest. So by the time of Jesus, oh, excuse me, I missed something here. Exodus 16, right? I don't know if you know this, Exodus 16 is before Exodus 20, right? So God commands the Sabbath. That's where we get all the details. And then here in 31, there's more details of the Sabbath. But in Exodus 16, God's telling the people about how they're going to get their food. Because they're wandering around the wilderness. They don't have farms. They're a farming people. They have no farms. They're out in the desert. And God says, I'm going to send manna. I'm going to send this, this something kind of bread that's going to be on the ground. That's going to sustain them for 41 years. And they're to go and get it. And do you remember what God said to them? That if they gathered in more than what they need for that day, that the food would go rancid and get maggots on it. Rick. Great Sunday morning topic, right? Right before lunch. It, was, it would go bad instantly if they gathered more than that day's food. So it was, it was to teach them to trust Him. But on Friday, they were to gather a double portion. 
And it did not go rancid. It didn't go bad on the Sabbath. So God was even teaching them very practically, you don't eat if you don't plan ahead for the Sabbath. You must set this day aside. You can't work. You can't go get food that day. But also note, this is prior to the command to keep the Sabbath holy. Genesis, obviously creation, is prior to all this. This is not something new. This is something they have already been practicing even before the law. This isn't just a law God made up. It's His way of doing things. That there is to be a time of rest and a time of holiness. Because remember the two commands. Keep, remember it. In other words, don't, don't mess up. Keep it separate. But keep it holy. And so by Jesus' time, this had developed, and this was a dead set in stone pattern, that Friday night families would gather and eat, just as Jewish people do today, and they would practice um, the Sabbath. And they would read Scripture. They would have times of, of what we would call family worship. And then on Saturday morning, they would all go to the synagogue. So most people couldn't travel all the way to Jerusalem every single week. So they would have local places of meeting and they would read the Scripture and then there would be people explain the Scripture. We see this in Jesus' life. Remember when He goes to His hometown Nazareth and it's on the Sabbath, what does He do? They say, would you read from the Scriptures? He did what Steve did here. And it says He got up, He stood, He read from the Scriptures, and then He sat down and He started teaching them. He taught them that He was the fulfillment of that Scripture. This was Jesus' normal practice. This is what he did every single Friday night and Saturday. As a matter of fact, he was so consistent in it that when he deviated two times, everybody wigged out. They, they, they couldn't believe that he had deviated. And so one of those times is when he heals a man on the Sabbath. And people are up and, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. And Jesus teaches them, you ought to do good on the Sabbath. This is to be kept holy. It's to be good. You guys have missed the point of the Sabbath. You become legalistic about it. The second time he deviates from the Sabbath, his disciples are walking along, not thinking about anything, and there's some barley wheat growing, we're we're not exactly sure, and they they grab one, and then they rub it between their hands to get the the chaff off, the little coating of the seeds, and then they're just popping them in. This This is like... The Jesus Day equivalent of popping some sunflower seeds on the road trip, all right? They're just, they're just eating and kind of grazing as they're walking down this road. And people attack him because they're working. They're rubbing their hands together. Heaven forbid they actually do work. And Jesus says, you don't get it. You didn't ever get the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath was made for us. It was made for us to rest and to keep holy, to to turn our affections back to God. Not for some petty law, for somebody picking some barley and having a snack. you're, You're becoming grumpy and legalistic, not following the Scriptures. But but note the big thing. Every other time in Jesus' life, and we we know the two times He deviated from it, so trust me, we know all the others. He kept the Sabbath. He stopped. He went to synagogue. He read Scripture. He taught in the synagogue. This was part of Jesus' life. A big part 
of Jesus' life. A seventh of his life was spent in this. And what do we do with Sabbath? Oh yeah, Saturday, we're good. Right? Like, this is not a healthy thing. If we see how significant this is, if we see the, the facts, the commands of the Old Testament, one, we're pretty ignorant of it. But two, we often ignore it. But what does Scripture say? What is the commandment? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So the next point, after the facts of the Sabbath, is how do we keep the Sabbath holy? Again, it's Sunday, right? So this isn't a one-for-one. We all know that. We get that. We, We are not Jewish. We haven't entered into that. But we have entered into the flow of Scripture. And the Old Testament is our Scripture. So how do we follow this fourth command? Let's start with Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Now, this is, this is like the big picture umbrella of all of this. And then we're going to develop how do we practically do this. This is going to be a very practical point here. All right? Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I want to read that, that second verse, 17 there again. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, the meat, the, the, the real deal belongs to Christ. So all these things were set up just as Joe taught us about the tabernacle. It was a bit like there was a literal lampstand in there. But that lampstand pointed us to Christ being the light of the world there was a literal altar where they killed critters but that points us to christ who was sacrificed for our sins so all those things were pictures of the things to come and the same is true specifically for the sabbath it it was there and it's 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 core it's important but the substance of it the meat of it is Christ. Sorry, Chad, i got to use meat as an example, but the rest of us are Christians. We know, we know what to eat. So, that was a dig against vegans. If you couldn't tell, let me make it clear. So there are three things that um, I want us to draw some very specific application of. How can we keep the Sabbath holy? And, and I'm going to be honest, I'm going to step on some toes, but probably the biggest toe I'm stepping on is my own. I'm not good at this. Um, when I realized this is what it was going to be about, I'm like, crud, I'm going to get up there. I am going to be the hypocrite preaching the sermon that I never listened to myself. And so this has been convicting this week. There are ways we are to keep the Sabbath holy. We don't ignore Scripture. So here are three application points for you. First, worship God with your family. All through the Old Testament, we see how you do this is tell them to your children. Talk about them as you sit on your table. Talk about them as you go out. Talk about them as you come in. Pray together. And we see this, and this is part of the Sabbath. When is the last time your family just just called time out and sat together? 
maybe read Scripture, talked about meaningful things, prayed, ate a meal together. Just the quiet of it. And I don't mean a rushed meal, you know, grab the burgers from Sonic, slap them down before you get to the next thing. I'm talking you just sat together. One of the things, anytime I have taken people on an international mission trip, the thing that they say every single time, and it doesn't matter what culture we've been to because we are just not good at this as Americans, uh, whether that's Central Asia, whether that's uh, been to Mexico, uh, all other places, they know how to do relationships. They talk with each other. Um, Speaking with my neighbor, uh, he is from very, very, very far south California. His parents were immigrants. Um, he's lived here all his life. He he's in a, was born here in America. And he said, everybody here sits on their back porches. We used to sit on our front porch. Well, that's, that's a big change, isn't it? Uh, the, the clicker, the garage door. I mean, you, you click the garage door, you're in Zoom. You never even say hi to the neighbor. There is something to stopping. How are you going to have gospel conversations with your neighbors if you never have a conversation with your neighbors? How are you going to have gospel conversation with your kids if you never have conversation with your kids? Are you going to stop and worship with your family? We need to do it. It's hard in our life right now to do that. They did it once a week for a full day. We need to apply this a little bit. There's some resources for family devotions um, I've got there that's a really good one. There's lots of others if you ever want that. Please let me know. But the biggest thing is actually just doing something. Read Psalm 23. It's easy. You read Psalm 23 once a week for your family for the rest of your life, that's going to be huge. It's just that simple. Do something. Couples, I know a lot of y'all are newer empty nesters. Read Scripture together. Don't miss what you have been doing for decades just because the kids are gone. Those of you who are single, read out loud. Get with families. It is weird when you're single and you don't have kids, and you're hanging out with a family with kids. Been there. I didn't get married till I was 28. But it's good. Do that. And, and hey, families with kids and all, and you're in the crazy. Don't forget to invite these folks in. Will those be the empty nesters, our widows, those folks who are still single? Like, grab each other, pull together. So worship with your family. The second thing. Rest. Okay, here's where I said I was the hypocrite. I don't stop. Um, you know, in a little bit of confession, some of you know I'm always worried. My wife will tell I'm always working on something. I like it. I, it, it. I enjoy it. God actually tells us to rest. It, it, it might help if we listen to the God who actually created our bodies to tell us how our bodies work best. Now, I got to tell you, Sunday for me, 
And we'll, we'll talk about Sunday, Saturday, all that kind of thing in here in just a minute. But Sunday for me is not a day of rest. I'm up here preaching, working with kids, running around. But I am bad at carving out time to rest. And we need to cut it. We need to make it happen. Remember what God said. Remember the Sabbath. This is the remember part. We talked a little bit about keep it holy. We'll talk more about keep it holy. But, but this is the remember. Actually, stop. One of the things we do as Americans is we are so busy that we never listen. I'm speaking specifically of listening to God. When's the last time you had an hour-long devotion? Because you had nothing else to do. It's refreshing if you've never done that. To get out in the woods where your phone cannot ring. There's no one to, to interrupt you. Nobody to come in your office door for that unplanned meeting. And you just listen to God's Word. And rest. Third thing, worship with your family. Rest. Worship with God's people. See, Jesus, after He resurrected from the dead, on Sunday, that day became... The Lord's Day. So we don't gather on Saturdays. It's not wrong. It's not simple. Again, Colossians says there's no magic days. Even from the very beginning, God said this day, He made it holy. It wasn't holy on its own. There's no magic to it. We need to gather with God's people. This gathering is so, so important. Just as Jesus, every week, gathered together. Acts 20, it tells us that they gathered together on the Lord's Day. Acts 16, 2, it says they gathered on the Lord's Day. And here's the kicker, I love this one. Revelation 1, 1. John is literally cast off on an island by himself. And you know what he does? He gets up on the Lord's Day and has worship. Can you imagine that? I, you, you throw me on an island... In chains, like, I, I'm pretty done at that point. <laughs> like that, I'm checked out. I'm, I'm out of this. And John is getting up every Sunday morning to worship. And that's when he is shown the book of Revelation. Morning worship. He didn't even miss it, even though he was the only one showing up for church. This gathering is so, so important. And I, I want to... Some of y'all are going to get mad, and I, I don't want to be mean, but some of y'all who we haven't seen except through the TV, we need you back. We miss you, brothers and sisters. There is something to this gathering together that we ought not miss. I need to hear Angie singing. I'm picking on Angie because I happen to be sitting in front of her. I need to hear Angie singing, Come Thou Fount. I need to hear Chad up here leading us. Yeah, but I need to hear it. And she's singing that to me. I need that handshake from Ben and a smile. I need that and you need that and I need that from you just as much as you need it from me. We need to prioritize the gathering. I mean, think about how harsh this language, remember that harsh language? Kill them if they don't. Like, thankfully, that's past. We are not a civil nation. Nobody kill anybody sitting at home. But that's the, that's the, I mean, that's the thump here. He comes that hard. 
this is that important. Gather for worship with your church family. All right, third thing. Not only how do we keep the Sabbath, the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And here's where we go to Hebrews as Steve read. Man, this is so good. This is so good. This revolutionized my Christian life. When I finally understood, primarily from this passage, that I didn't have to do works to keep God happy. That's the whole point of this passage. So Hebrews 4, um, 1 through 11, look with me there. And I'm going I'm to kind of summarize it and then we're going to come in toward the end. It says, I'm in 2 Timothy 11. That's not going to work well. Let me try this again. All right, so, so here's what's happening. He's taking the Old Testament and telling us how much better Jesus is about all this stuff. And so he says, remember them, they were out there. They were told to have a Sabbath rest. And then not all of them got it. They were told they were going to go in the promised land. Everything was going to be rest. And not all of them, even Moses, didn't even get to go in. All the adults got killed out in the wilderness. All these folks that we're talking to right now end up dying in the wilderness and never get into the promised land. This this rest of God. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, like, promised land, that was a good thing. That was awesome. That wasn't it. That was not the ultimate rest of God. The rest of God was something even bigger, even better. And he says what the rest of God is, is the fact that Christ gives you rest from your work by his own work. So many of us try to get to heaven on our own merit. We try to work our way there that's how we get it it's in us i gotta be good i gotta be what's the what we say to the kids little good little boys go to heaven right that's the most horrendous theological statement ever because you are not a good little boy we try to get our way there and even after we've trusted christ even if we get that christ died for our sins and so the way we go to heaven is to trust in him not by doing more and doing and doing and doing and working our way to heaven but even after that how many christians are riddled with guilt how many Christians are trying to keep God happy with them, thinking that well, if I don't pray enough this week, I'm going to flunk the test. If I don't pray enough this week, I'm not going to get the promotion. If I don't do this, or if I, oh, God's punishing me because of this. We are still trying to work our way to heaven, even though we know we're already saved. Guilt reigns in so many lives. And so what Jesus is saying is, I did it. I did the work. Now you can rest in me. So let me read Hebrews 4.11. Think think about this as we read through this. Therefore, the promise of entering his rest still stands. It's still open to you today. Let us fear lest any of us should have seemed to have failed to reach it. For the good news came to us just as to them. This is the people of Exodus. This is exactly what this, this good news coming. It's the Ten Commandments coming down. But the message they heard did not benefit them. In other words, they didn't get it. It didn't do them any good. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So a lot of these folks in the middle of this, walking through the waters, are still not trusting God for their salvation. I know, that's dumb. You know how dumb it is? It's as dumb as us. Right? Oh, if I saw that, I wouldn't do that. 
they did, they're just like us. They're missing the point. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, I swore in my wrath, you shall not enter my rest. That's to those people. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. By the way, I feel so relieved at that. Somewhere it says in the Bible, like, yeah, that's me. Uh, I, I, he, the writer of Hebrews is a man after my own heart here. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, in other words, when they went into the promised land, if that was the rest, God wouldn't have spoken of another day to come. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from him. This is the Sabbath. This is the fulfillment of the Sabbath is you stop trying to get yourself right with God. He's already done the work. You can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough. You cannot drag yourself up by your bootstraps Christ must do the work for you. That's for salvation and that's for holiness. We are to keep the Sabbath holy. This is how we get holy. It is by complete faith in Christ. So listen to this, and I, I love the, the, the twist of words he plays here. It's, it's so, so telling. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Let us therefore strive. What's another word for strive? Work. Let us also strive to enter that rest. Now, did this just seem like the opposite of all he's been saying the whole time? He, he plays this. And I love it. We'll, we'll talk about what that means. So that no one may fall into the same sort of disobedience. And so, so here's, here's how it is. 1974, a man who was 84 years old named Hiroo Onada walks out of a Philippine jungle on a Philippine island that, that nobody's been on for a long time in a World War II uniform and drops his rifle on the beach. 1974. For 30 years, he has been fighting World War II. The problem is, World War II was over. And as a lieutenant in the Japanese army, he felt it his duty to continue fighting, continue fighting. He never got the message the treaty had been signed on that fateful deck of the USS Missouri. World War II ended. And Hiroo had no idea. So he kept fighting and fighting. And every day he put on his uniform and every day he polished his rifle and every day he was ready to shoot the enemies of Japan. He had no idea. The war was over. He kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And that's how we are today. Jesus has won the war. The war against sin and death and our unholiness has been won in Christ, but we don't get it. It's not in our minds. We can't get it to the forefront, so we keep working and working and, oh, I hope God's not mad at me this day. 
Let me give you relief. Christ has done it. Now we have to strive to enter the rest. We have to strive to retrain our brains from thinking we got to do it to knowing Christ has done it. We have to retrain our brains to constantly be turning to Him of even though I failed again at that same thing over and over and over, Christ's blood still covers me and I still trust Him. We have to retrain everything in us to fight sin. We're striving. We're, we're, we're fighting toward Christ. So let me tell you, if that sin that keeps coming up it is actually going to bring you rest when you begin to fight it in Christ. This is how we live. We live in a constant Sabbath of the work, work that we have stopped because Christ has completed it all. Now here's the problem. There's a lot of days it doesn't feel very restful. Anybody else with me there? Works hard. Raising kids is hard. Not being a horrible person is really hard. I want to read you, Paul. Philippians 3, 8-11. Here's how he puts all this together. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing passing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order to, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having the righteousness of my own. He stopped his work, right? That comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So where's Paul's stock? It's all in faith through Christ. That's where the righteousness is coming. But then listen to his next phrase. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Oh, that sounds good, right? That, that sounds like rest living. But catch the next line and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Christian, be at peace. You have rest in Christ. And Christian, don't be at peace. It's not here yet. We're in this weird time. But the battle's still going. But we have rest. And so let me call you Christian right now to trust Christ and strive for that rest. That means repenting of your sins and pressing forward into Christ. Pressing hard. Striving to grow in your faith. We, we don't do that. We don't keep the Sabbath holy. We don't strive for that. We don't strive for holiness. waiting for that forever rest. So church, I present you this oxymoron. Strive to enter His rest. Keep the Sabbath holy. Remember it. So the question, as we conclude, are you that Japanese soldier this morning fighting a war that's already been won? Fighting for the approval of God? Fighting for the approval of others? rather than resting in the finished work of Christ. Or, like those 456 American soldiers who lay 
under a white, simple stone. Say, may they rest forever. My question to you is, will you rest forever in the finished work of Christ? Let's pray. Father, help us. Lord, there's so much here. Father, everything in us as humans, culturally, we just don't stop. Stopping in simplicity seems almost wrong as Americans. But God, we want to honor Your command. We want to keep the fourth commandment. That we would keep the Sabbath. Remember it and keep it holy. Lord, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would turn to You. We would worship as families. Lord, but we would worship as a church. We would gather together. God, we pray that we would cease striving and know You are God, as Psalm 46 says. Help our hearts, not just the practical, but help our hearts to rest in You, Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen.